Thank you for joining us on the sermon podcast for Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church. We love being able to distribute our sermons in this format, but we would love it even more if you could join us in person at 5208 Crow Mountain Road in Russellville, Arkansas, or online at the Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church Facebook page. We have Sunday school classes at 9 a.m. with a worship service right after at 10 a.m. Let's now prepare our hearts to hear a message from God's Word. Oh, I don't know if y'all understand this. I mean, I'm sure you do. But um, just to give you an idea about the kind of, of reach that we have as a church, you know, because we live stream the service and because we we have the, the sermon podcast where I post the sermons, we reach a lot more people than what's actually here. And I think that's wonderful. Um, I look on Facebook and I'll see that we have about 30 to 40 views on the sermons, on the stri- on the videos. And we we have so that's thirty to forty more people that are not here that watch the service here. And then I, I check the numbers on the sermon podcast and we have about twenty to thirty to forty uh, people who const- who regularly listen to the sermons on the on the sermon podcast. And that I think that's wonderful. Um, and so, if you're watching us this morning, and I, I don't break the fourth wall normally and address our viewers, but if you're watching this morning, I want you to know that we love you, we appreciate you. I know Joella watches just about every Sunday, and we, we love you, Joella, and we appreciate you. I want you to know that we're praying for you constantly. Um, and so, we, we, have a, we have an outreach here, even if it doesn't look like we've got a lot of folks in the house. And... And this, this is unimaginable. I want you to think about this. This would have been unimaginable for a little country church to do 35 years ago. In order for a church to broadcast its services, they would have to have a full sound booth, full camera crew, giant cameras, expensive cameras, expensive equipment, and now you go down to a phone store and you can buy a cheap smartphone for, I don't know, under 100 bucks. Long as it has, long as it has a decent camera on it, and you can prop it up anywhere with one of those little seven-dollar tripods, and you can, and your church can stream services. It, it's amazing, and because it's live streaming and not just recording, people can watch it in real time, which is also amazing. Again, things you couldn't have done 35 years ago. I think it's impressive. Um, if you have your Bibles this morning. Turn with me into the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 5. And I want to read our text out of two different translations because I I want us to hear it and I want it to sink in. I want us to understand it. I'm going to read it first from the New King James and then I'm going to read it from the CSB. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. If you have that text, if you would stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Out of the New King James, it almost sounds like he's continuing a thought, which we'll explain in a little bit, which is why it starts in the middle of a sentence. But this is what it says. Hear the word of the Lord. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. 
For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern, to discern both good and evil. Let's hear it again from the CSB. We have a great deal to say about this, and it is difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature. For those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. This ends the reading of God's word, the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, this is your word and we are your people. And I ask God that you would hear these words that are difficult and hard and complicated in some cases. And that you would let us hear them with grace, and that you would let us hear them with truth, and that you would let them sink down into our very souls. I ask it all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I read the text out of two different translations because I want us to grasp, grasp the weight of what Paul, uh, you know, presumably Paul, we don't really know who wrote Hebrews, uh, I want us to grasp the weight of what Paul is saying in the te in the text, and I want us to understand the impact of what he's saying. So we need to think about what's going on here. Um, the Africa Bible Commentary summarizes the passage in, in, in this way. It says, The writer is addressing believers who have been in the faith for nearly 30 years, but with no more spiritual maturity than much younger believers. So, what Paul is experiencing here in this Christian community where, where the Hebrews are, predominantly Hebrews, there's a few Gentiles there, is he's experiencing 30 to 40 years and no growth, 30 to 40 years and no change, 30 to 40 years and nothing to indicate that they're going deeper into the faith. There's a story I came across this week, and I think it really explains the frustration that the author of Hebrews is experiencing. And this story comes from Tim Hansel's book, Holy Sweat, where he tells the story of a friend who went to a 40-year class reunion. For months, he saved to take his wife to the place and to the people that he had left four decades before. The closer the time came for the reunion, the more excited he became, thinking of all the wonderful stories he would hear about the changes and the accomplishments these old friends would tell him. He wondered if any others had encountered this Christ who had changed him so profoundly. He even tried to guess what some of his friends would look like and what kind of jobs and families some of them uh, had had and what kind of special friendships they had made over the year, years. The day came to leave and I drove them to the airport. Their energy was almost contagious. I'll pick you up on Sunday evening and you can tell me all about it, I said. Have a great time. Sunday evening arrived and as I watched them get off the plane, my friend seemed almost despondent. And I almost didn't want to ask, but finally I said... Well, how was the reunion? Tim, the man said, 
It was one of the saddest experiences of my life. Good grief, I said, more than a little surprised. What happened? It wasn't what happened, but what didn't happen. It has been 40 years. 40 years, and they haven't changed. They had simply gained weight, changed clothes, gotten jobs, but they hadn't really changed. And what I experienced was maybe one of the most tragic things I could ever imagine about life. For reasons I can't fully understand, it seems as though some people choose not to change. There was a long silence as we walked back to the car. On the drive home, he turned to me and said, I never, never want to be that. I never want that to be said of me, Tim. Life is too precious, too sacred, too important. If you ever see me go stagnant like that, I hope you give me a quick, swift kick where I need it. I hope you'll love me enough to challenge me to keep growing. What would we think if someone were 30 to 40 years old and they were single, never married, they didn't have a job, they didn't have a driver's license, and they were still living with their parents? We would think that there is something absolutely wrong with them. So why would we think that it's okay for someone to profess faith, occupy a seat on Sunday morning for 30 to 40 years, and not grow a single iota in their faith? At some point, people have to mature and grow up. We think that just because we prayed a prayer, joined the church, and got saved, that there's nothing more to experience in our walk with God, and that is simply not true. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 and 10, or 5 through 10. He says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. I'll say that again. Make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance. Endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities, in increasing measure they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. That last phrase, if you do these things, you will never stumble. It kind of reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Whenever Jesus says, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So here's the question. Do you want Jesus to think of you as wise? Then do what he says. It's not enough to come to church and hear. You have to do too. Listen to what James says in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks in himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it... And is not forgetful here, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what 
He does. So this is the fundamental problem in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. The fundamental problem is that people need to mature from being hearers only to hearers and doers. And it's not happening, so it's almost like their growth is stunted. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Is your growth stunted? Is your growth stunted? Ironic that I said that and my voice cracked like my growth had stunted during adolescence, right? <laughs> is your growth stunted? The writer of Hebrews can tell their growth is stunted because he gives three problems that need to be addressed, and we're going to walk through these problems one by one as we see them in the text. The first problem is, if you're following along in the outline in your bulletin, leaders can't say what need to be said. Leaders can't say what need to be said. Look at verse 11 again, just a second. Now just to provide some context for Hebrews chapter 5, the author, up to this point, has been describing Christ's work as high priest. And in verse 10, he starts to describe Jesus' high priestly role in, in more detail, even going as far as saying that Jesus is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, which he will explain later in chapter 7. Still, it's almost like the author can sense their eyes glazing over and their heads nodding off like they're asleep in church. Keep in mind that Hebrews isn't a letter like most people think it is, it's actually a sermon that was transcribed. So I can see the preacher, probably Paul, he's preaching away and he's describing Jesus as our high priest. And this is, this is good stuff. This is the Apostle Paul himself in the flesh preaching and yet people are falling asleep. Now, if you hear, if you read a lot of commentaries and hear scholars talk about Paul, they'll say he was a boring preacher because he was so long-winded. And they'll reference Acts chapter 20, where Eutychus was sitting in the window seal while Paul was preaching, and the Bible said that he preached all the way to midnight, and Eutychus fell out of the window seal and broke his neck, and it said in Acts chapter 20 that they raised him up dead. And Paul said, Don't worry, he's only asleep. Don't, Paul said, Don't worry, he's he's only he's alive, he's not dead. And so when Paul grabbed him, he went from being dead to being alive. And when Paul raised up Eutychus from the dead, they went ahead and had church. Let me tell you something today. Listen, we gotta get we gotta get where we need to be with God. Come on, somebody. We gotta grow up. We've got to grow up. Paul, the apostle, was preaching. And he's preaching this sermon in Hebrews and he starts to see people nod off. And here's what Paul says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. He says, we have a great deal to say about this and it is difficult to explain. The CSB says, since you have become too lazy to understand. Now, if you're reading it from the King James or the New King James, it says it a little gentler. It says you've become dull of hearing. Now, you might think that's harsh, but this isn't the only place where Paul speaks this way. See, Paul didn't hold back. Paul, when, Paul addressed, when Paul saw a problem, he addressed it. He didn't avoid conflict. Paul spoke this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able. 
If you're looking at 1 Corinthians 3, notice what he says. He says, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. Since you were not ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready. Why, why are they not ready? It says right there in the text why they're not ready in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. Because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly behaving like mere humans? Notice how 1 Corinthians chapter 3 reads just like our text in Hebrews chapter 5. Paul is addressing the same problem with the same language. And what's he saying? He's saying that certain conversations need to take place in the church and they can't take place because the church is acting lazy and immature and they're acting like the world. So this is the problem. Leaders in the church can't say what need to be said because the church can't hear it, because they're not ready to hear it, because they don't want to hear it. Do you want to know what this looks like? If you want to know what it looks like, go to a presbytery meeting. You know how many times they'll kick the can down the road on an issue that needs to be addressed. And what's the problem? What's the problem? Leaders in the church can't say what needs to be said because the church can't hear it because they're not ready to hear it because they don't want to hear it. Listen, listen to me clearly. There is no shame, absolutely no shame whatsoever in needing baby food if you're a baby. But you've got a grown man trying to suck on a bottle and it's a problem. I interviewed at a Cumberland Presbyterian Church one time in Arkansas, mind you, and I guarantee you, you would probably know where it was if I told you. And they brought me and Brittany in for an interview. But the day before the interview, the session, uh, before the day with, uh, of the interview with the session, an older couple from the church took us out to, to wine us and dine us. It was a dry county, so they diet coked and dined us. <laughs> the church had went through a couple different pastors in a short period of time, and, and we went in for the interview, and they had been without a pastor at that point for, for about four years. And I asked them to tell me about the pastor with the longest tenure in their memory. And they told me about a man who had been their pastor for around 20 years, and he was at every community event. He was at every city council meeting. He had an open door policy in his office at the church. And people would walk in just about every day to chit chat. And on top of preaching every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, he also taught a Sunday school class and he would constantly visit people in their homes. And I kind of joked and I said, well, as much time as he did, as much time as, as uh, he did, as much, as much work as he did, he probably didn't have much time to study. And what they said next after that floored me. And they said, well, he probably didn't, which is why he wasn't a very good preacher. I said, if he wasn't a good preacher, then why'd y'all keep him for 20 years? And they said, because he was such a good pastor. The problem with that pastor and that church was that he spent so much time putting pacifiers and bottles in people's mouths that he didn't have time to serve up a medium rare ribeye. During the interview, they told me they wanted me to spend 40 hours a week in the office, have an open door policy and go to the district office and apply to be a substitute teacher, go to ball games at the school and teach youth on Sunday night since they also didn't have a youth pastor. After we had that interview, the session immediately asked me if I would consider being their pastor and I said I would pray about it, which by the way is Christianese for no. 
they didn't get the hint, so they called me about three weeks later and asked me if I'd prayed about it. They promised me a salary, an expense account, a three-bed, two-and-a-half-bath parsonage that had just been remodeled, and I still said no. A couple months later, one of the elders called me up because they weren't able to go to the presbytery meeting and they wanted to know how it went. And while we were on the phone, he said, you know, we haven't really interviewed anybody else and the offer's still open if you want to take it. And I said, look, you want me to be just like that guy you, who spent 20 years feeding you on a bottle, changing your diapers, and burping you. If I become your pastor, I'll go up there and serve you a big plate of prime rib, and you'll choke on it because all you want to eat is baby food. Many churches today do not want a real pastor. They want a spiritual therapist. They want a nice guy who will tell them what they want to hear and make sure they get out of church in time to watch the hogs play. Here's the deal. Coach Sam Pittman didn't die on the cross for your sins. Y'all are quiet this morning. When we look back at Hebrews 5 and 1 Corinthians 3, Paul uses the same language to address the same problem. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, Paul says the problem is that they are dull of hearing. So the problem is that they're bored. So why would they be bored with the Word of God? Now I think that's a valid question even today because you got folks who will come to church, they love singing the songs, but when it comes time for preaching, their eyes glaze over. When I was a little kid, I can remember being in church and being awake for all the singing, but as soon as the preacher hit the pulpit, I'd curl up on the pew and my, and my head was in Grandma's lap. And I'd catch some Z's. But as I got older, I didn't do that anymore. I was, and I wasn't made to stop falling asleep either. I just grew up. And I got to where I liked preaching. I got to where I enjoyed preaching. I got to where I wish they would stop singing so I could hear some preaching. I had a bunch of tapes, CDs, and MP3 files of anybody and everybody, Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian. It didn't matter. I just wanted to hear somebody open up the book and tell it like it is because I grew up, and I've still got some growing to do. My wife will tell you that i got some growing to do because she'll remind me every once in a while. So are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? We've got to grow up, and we've got to get on the big boy groceries. Well, how was church yesterday morning? I don't know. The preacher done lost his mind. He was waving a baby bottle and telling me to grow up. <laughs> because if a church doesn't grow up, leaders can't say what needs to be said because the church won't be able to handle it. Secondly, if a church doesn't grow up, teachers can't teach those who need to be taught. Look at verse 12. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation. Again, you need milk, not solid food. Notice what he says here. He says, by this time you ought to be teachers. I'm convinced that when Paul said this, he wasn't just talking to people who had the gift of teaching. Because to some degree or another, it's everybody's job to teach everybody else. That's kind of what Paul says earlier in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. So according to that text in Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, whose job is it to encourage daily? Everybody's. 
It's not just the pastor's job or the elder's job or the Sunday school teacher's job. It's everybody's. Then notice what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. He says, but let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Notice verse 6, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Well, what does that mean? It means that if you're taught the word, then you should be able to talk about what you've learned. Give feedback to the one who teaches you. What's writing on this is that Paul says that there are people who ought to be teaching by now, and they're not. The implication is that there are people who need to be taught that can't be taught because those who, those who need to be teachers aren't mature enough to teach. <clears throat> Listen, you can get any warm body to stand up and read words off a page, but what we need are teachers, not simply people who regurgitate information. So let me give you an example of a good teacher and a bad teacher that, that, I've, that I've learned from or that I've seen. An example of a bad teacher would be uh, one morning I went to a, a little Methodist church. Um, I used to work overnights, and the Methodist church that I went to had an early service and a later service. And so what I would do is I'd get off work at 7 o'clock in the morning, and I didn't want to miss church at my home church, and I knew I had a few hours to kill, so I'd go to the 8.30 service at the Methodist church so I wouldn't fall asleep. I, I guess I'm weird. People go to, go to church normally to get sleep. I go to church to stay awake. So... I'd go to the early service at the Methodist church, and that morning they had a woman filling in the, pul filling in the, the pulpit. The regular pastor was out. And the woman who was preaching that morning preached on John chapter 6 about the feeding of the 5,000. And during that whole sermon, she spent the whole sermon explaining away the miraculous in the feeding of the 5,000. She said, oh, the food didn't literally multiply. She said, what happened was everyone actually had food and, and they weren't going to reveal the fact that they were hiding food. And then when that little boy brought his five loaves and two fish, that inspired everyone to share what they were hiding. And so what was happening? She was regurgitating information that she had learned from Union Seminary. That's a bad teacher. Let me give you an example of a good teacher. There's a, there's a podcast I listen to called The Life and Times of Todd Van Beck. Now, most people don't know who Todd Van Beck is, but he, he, Time Magazine called him America's funeral director. He had written so many books about directing funerals and working in the funeral business that they, they dubbed him America's funeral director. And The Life and Times of Todd Van Beck is nothing but him just sitting back on a microphone and just telling stories about working in the funeral industry. Now, why do I think of Todd Van Beck as a good teacher? Because Todd Van Beck loves what he does. And so whenever I listen to Todd Van Beck tell stories about working in the funeral business, it makes me want to work in the funeral business. Because he talks about people that he got to serve. He talks about the stories that make him love what he does. 
He talks. He not only talks about what he does, but he talks about why he loves what he does. And I think that applies across the board. If you're a school teacher, if you're a college professor, if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a preacher, if you don't love what you teach and you don't have the ability to communicate your love for that thing, you're not going to be a good teacher. <coughs> If you don't love what you teach, then you can't get people who hear you to love what you teach. You've got to be able to communicate your love for the subject matter or no one will care. We need teachers who love the Word of God. We need teachers who love Jesus. We need teachers who want nothing more than to live in the Bible. If you compare Hebrews chapter 5 to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the reason there are people in the church who ought to be able to teach and they're not is because they love the world more than they love the Word. They love the world more than they love the Word. And that's evidenced by the fact that they know more about worldly matters than spiritual matters. Listen, if you claim to be a Christian and you know the Ten Amendments more than you know the Ten Commandments, then you've got a problem with your priorities. You can know both. I'm not saying you can't know both, and you probably should know both. But one ought to take precedence over the other. I got one more point, so if you're not too offended so far, hang on a minute. When a church is immature, number one, leaders can't say what needs to be said. Number two, people can't teach those who need to be taught. And number three, people can't know what they need to know. Look at verses 13 and 14. Now everyone who lives on who, who now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and bad or good and evil. I want you to know something. I never thought of myself as a picky eater until after I got married and my wife informed me that I was a picky eater. I didn't like cabbage. I didn't like Alfredo. I would hardly touch a vegetable. And then I got a woman who knew how to cook all that stuff the way it was supposed to be cooked. And I thought, because I could go to a Chinese buffet and eat everything they put out, that I wasn't picky. But it took someone who wasn't a picky eater to tell me otherwise and show me that the things I, I didn't actually like were good for me and actually tasted good too. My wife is going to make cabbage soup for me soon. She's been talking about it for a couple weeks now, and I'm pretty excited about it. I wouldn't have, have been excited about that six years ago. Well, what happened? I grew up. When we had our revival a couple of weeks ago, we had three straight days of preaching like you would not believe. Some of the best preaching I've heard in the four years I've been here. But the purpose of a church having a revival is to stir something up inside of us that causes us to want to move forward in our growth with Christ. Now we can come in here and sing, and I can come in here and get excited, holler and shout the house down, and it's all good and well, but unless there is growth, it means nothing. Like I said earlier, there's no shame in needing milk if you're a baby. But if you're a big boy, it's time to move on. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. When I became a man, I put away childish things. 
And then he says later in that same book in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, he says, brethren, do not be children in understanding, but understand, but in understanding be mature. Now, if you're hearing this message this morning and you think, well, maybe I'm a bit immature and, and, and I need to grow in my faith, where do I start? Where do I begin? I think that's a valid question. Let me answer it by telling you about my friend Chance. Chance knows how to do a lot of things, and I mean a lot of things. He can work on computers, he's big on IT, cybersecurity, etc. But he's not just skilled in technology, he also knows how to work on cars, he can do a little bit of carpentry work. He, he's sort of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Chance is easily one of the brightest human beings I know. And I asked him one day, I said, Chance, how do you learn to do all of this stuff? He said, I don't really know. He said, when I was a kid, I just grabbed my dad's tools, went outside, took, took stuff apart, and put it back together. And he said that if he came across something he didn't know how to do, he looked it up. He read manuals online. He watched tutorial videos online. He used the resources that other people, listen to me now, he used the resources that other people who came before him provided for him to learn what he needed to learn. You attend church in a building that you didn't build. How many of you had a, ha had a hand in crafting this building that we're in? You may have done some remodel work on it, but did you actually lay the foundation? It's a blessing that we inherited. You're a part of a denomination that you didn't do the legwork to start. You read a Bible that people thousands of years ago wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and compiled into one concise book. And on top of that, there are generations upon generations of pastors and theologians who have done the legwork to provide the body of Christ with the resources that we need to grow. From a purely logistic standpoint, the hard work has already been done. We live in an astounding amount. We live in an astounding time where the, we live in a time where there's an astounding amount of information for free at our fingertips. So where do you start? Well, in Hebrews chapter six, right after Paul tells us that solid food is for the mature, he says this in Hebrews chapter six, verses one through three. He says, "Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection." Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So what does all that mean? What Paul is saying is that there is a foundation, a philosophical and theological foundation of six things that make up the doctrine of the church. Repentance, faith, baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection, and eternal judgment. These are the six main things that, that every Christian needs to know and understand. And when Paul says that maturity means leaving those things behind, he doesn't mean that maturity means throwing those things away or discarding them. What he means is that we use those six things as a theological foundation for what we build our lives on. And we build above that. We build on top of that. So when you build a house, you always start with the foundation. The foundation is essential. But at some point, you've got to move on from the foundation and build the walls. You've got to lay the flooring. You've got to hang the doors. You've got to put up the siding. 
The church in that community where Paul was preaching had been established for 30 to 40 years and they were still on their foundational meal. They were still on their foundational meal. And they hadn't moved on. Now, I didn't even think about this until I just about finished preparing it this week, but when we went through Haggai and part of Zechariah this this year, do you remember the fundamental problem in those two books? The people of God were supposed to be rebuilding the temple. And when you get to Haggai, you find that the people had laid the foundation, but that's as far as they got. And 14 years went by before Haggai came on the scene and said, it's time to stop dwelling in your sealed houses and start working on the house of God. Listen, I think God is trying to tell us something and he's been trying to tell us something for a while, but I can't listen for you. We've got to listen for ourselves. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, This is hard, but it's necessary. It's tough, but we need it. Will you make yourself known this morning? Will you make your will for our lives known this morning? Will you cause us to grow? Will you cause us to mature? Will you cause us to straighten up? I ask all of these things in your son's name. Amen. for joining us for this special message. We hope you were blessed and encouraged by the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Now, may the Lord bless you, keep you, make His face to shine upon you, and give you peace. Amen.